0: Hello and welcome to another edition of the In Context podcast. Again, I've, I've got another friend of mine today. We've got Joel Kerrs. Uh, every week I introduce people by calling them my friend to make out that I'm popular. <laughs> <laughs> but I generally have met Joel several times in Nidri. How are you doing, bro? I'm good, and I would consider you a friend as well, bro. Awesome, nice one. So I've got at least two. <laughs> You've got two. You've got a friend and me. Brilliant. And how are you doing, brother? Are you doing well? I'm good, man. I'm good. I haven't
1: seen you in what four years or so, yeah, it's been um, uh, maybe three years,
0: something like three and a half. Were and you, uh, were you in Nidri when lockdown happened, when all the Americans started? Were no, you? I
1: was in NIDRI prior to COVID. Right. And um, yeah, so but I, I honestly though have enjoyed my conversations with you and been blessed by hearing of your ministry, man. So it's good to be on your show
0: and thanks for joining us. Yeah. So uh, for those people in the UK who aren't aware of you, brother, can you just uh, introduce yourself? Uh, who are you, uh, who are you married to, and, and what is your ministry?
1: Sure. So uh, my name is Joel Kurz. I am born and raised in Akron, Ohio, uh, which is the same city that LeBron James came out of. Uh, so he and I go way back, at least to the same city. Um, and I moved to to the state of Maryland on the East coast, uh, moved here 18 years ago, 19 years ago. I've been in Baltimore for about 12 years. Um, we moved into an inner city neighborhood, uh, back in 2008 and, uh, began work on starting a church. And honestly, it was, uh, um, at the beginning, we didn't even know what we, we didn't know if it was going to be a church or if I was going to start a nonprofit. Like I, I think I was going to, I think I'm going to do a church, but I'm not exactly sure what I'm going to do. Like I don't know what I'm doing and I had very little training. So all that to say, it took us about four years before we covenanted together as a church. So in 2012 uh, we, we essentially began a church and um, that church is called the garden church. We're in West Baltimore, uh, which is a, a tough neighborhood in the city. Um, We probably deal with a lot of similar things that you guys would deal with in various ways, Uh, but we love it. And so we're going on um, 10 years, uh, 10 years ago, January is actually when we covenanted as a church.
2: Awesome.
1: Yeah. I'm married to Jess and I've got four kids who are uh, four, 10, 14 and 16 crazy family.
0: So I think I've only met, when you came over to the UK, did you just come over with Jess and, and the youngest?
1: Yeah, I came over with Jess and my, my baby at the time, who was yeah, yeah. who is Chapman. Cool, so, oh, yeah.
0: awesome. And uh, the church is called the Garden Church. And yep. it, it sounds like uh, a similar story to mine, where I, I had no training. I didn't know what I was doing. I saw a need in the community. And. Uh, we started working with the fatherless we wanted to see a church planting but i didn't know much about church planting and uh, a similar journey we were just serving uh, yeah. in an area and, and a church developed and uh i i just wondered how did that church develop from 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 seeing a need in a community to to go in there what, yeah. what what prompted you from just seeing an, a need to to seeing yeah. that it was a need for a church?
1: Yeah, I I, I think from the get go, I so I had served as a youth pastor for five years Mm -hmm. at a church before before that. And sorry about that. My my phone is connected to my computer. (laughs) And uh, so if somebody calls, I'm going to turn my phone off. Um, But my I, I had a desire to definitely be like a pastor of a church, you know, a community in the city. But um when i moved into the city though i honestly didn't know I, I think i was very reactionary to things that i'd seen in churches and i just wanted to be different and and so we just floundered you know for a while and didn't really have any identity as a church i mean there was people that we were connecting with and doing things with and trying to serve and i had a homeless guy sleeping on my couch but yeah around it was around 2010 uh, that we, that I really kind of hit rock bottom and I'm like, what am I, what am I doing? You know, I, I I need to have like some kind of clear view as to what the church is, because I don't even know if I know what a church is, you know, I know what a gathering is like. I know what it's like to stand up in front of people and preach to people, but what is the church Mm -hmm. and what does that look like in this context? And so, um, we, uh, we connected around that same time connected with uh, Mark Dever at Capitol Hill Baptist church. And um, they're about an hour from us. And so uh, I I had a cousin that was doing some work there at the time and I was just hanging out with my cousin and I connected with this ministry and I'm like, wow, this is like a, you know, these people are pretty confident in what they think the church is, you know, and it really just kind of uh, made me wrestle with my own thinking on like what is the church, and what am I? What am I doing? You know, and at that point, everything was so bad in our ministry that I was just so open to, to change and to uh, rebuke and to being strengthened, and uh, so that just began a process of like being discipled and reading and thinking and and uh, it was just it was a long process, but we kind of came out of all of that as as a church
2: in the city yeah yeah <clears throat> again again quite similar
0: and it and it strikes me how so many people again i don't want to put words in your mouth but maybe have been disillusioned with churches uh, in the past uh, especially disillusioned with how churches are, are reaching areas of deprivation so yeah. you, you see a need and you go then uh, i remember somebody saying to me what will you do when people get saved and I said, Wouldn't that be a wonderful problem to have lots of new Christians not knowing right. what to do with them? And then all of a sudden you find out that you suddenly see conversions and then you think, Oh man, <laughs> I wish I prepared a bit better.
1: <laughs> right, right. Exactly. Yeah. That's how it was for, for me too. Like it was honestly I was challenged by some of the folks that ended up being uh converted or growing in our church and they're asking me questions that I don't have answers to. You know, and I'm challenged to really think through, like, what is the church, and what is discipleship, and what does it mean to grow people in Christ and to teach them the Word of God. Um, so, in a, in a, in a sense, like some of our own people that we had that God was doing a work in, were the ones that challenged challenged me in my thinking.
2: Awesome. Yeah. So, so you're, you're
0: ministering to this community. You've got a church there. Uh, can you just share a little bit about what does your community look like. Uh, within the church, but also uh, outside the church too. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So uh, the the broader community around the church is a uh, what we would call in the states an inner city community. I'm not sure if you use that term there, but uh, it's a a neighborhood that is, has been historically neglected in some ways um, uh, since the 70s and 80s. Uh, big drug epidemic in the neighborhood a lot of drug trade um a lot of corruption I would say in the city as well um so there's there's just some things that uh are in place that allow certain neighborhoods to to struggle you know just uh a lack of good policing in neighborhoods and just you name it so all, all that to say that that's that's sort of our context it's resulted in a neighborhood that is uh, mostly low-income, um, mostly fatherless, um, or maybe I shouldn't say fatherless, but like dads don't live in the homes. Yeah. You know, I do think that there are dads that love their kids. Um, there's great, some great organizations in our neighborhood that are trying to connect with fathers, you know, and there's, I know there's dads that are trying to stay in their kids' lives, but with the cycles of of poverty combined with, Hustling, drugs, you know, and then violence. So many young men who are dead in the streets. It's just this epidemic of no dads in the homes. So um so that's that's where we live. Uh there's also, you know, we're in a city, so like not too far is uh some some wealth and some some people that have been there for a long time and and you know, really established neighborhood uh with money. Um, there is some uh development happening in our neighborhood, and you get some some young professionals that have moved in so there's a little like you know question marks of gentrification uh wondering how that's gonna go um so we just live in all of that tension yeah. and I think in some ways our church probably reflects a lot of that yeah. so our church uh definitely reflects the community right around us. We have a number of folks that uh are homeless or came uh homeless and are now in in housing um we've got uh people that grew up in the neighborhood we've got people that uh have just been moved around baltimore city their whole life uh or from a similar context from another city um we've got some that have come out of that and are doing well in life and uh working a job um and then we've got some that are passing through there in the city for a program and they're looking for a gospel preaching church. And they ended up uh, finding us on a website and here they are. Yeah. So,
0: so we've got a mix. We've got a mix. <laughs> we've had a few of them. We, we registered with TGC and mm-hmm. uh, some people who would come uh, from Ireland presumed we would be a lot bigger and quite different because we were on the TTC website. Also, yeah. we it's get on the now Mark's website. So we had a few people join us. Uh, fortunately, some of them stayed, but a lot were like, oh, this isn't what we were expecting.
1: <laughs> yeah, bro, that same experience. Like some of the ones that have stayed are our best workers. Yeah. You know, they get it. They're gospel-centered. They help us with discipleship. They're wonderful. And that's in some ways, like our middle-class folks come through some of those websites. They're just looking for a church. Um, but yeah, we've had so many people come who they come one Sunday and they look around and they're like, nah, <laughs> <laughs> this isn't what I was looking for. You know? Yeah. yeah. And if you saw where we meet on Sundays, it's so bad. Yeah. I, I, I hope this doesn't get back to them. I probably should uh, be careful as to what I say, yeah. but it's rough.
0: Yeah. Oh may we've just had a ceiling repaired after about nine months of like you could see the the, the sun coming through, and then the rain was coming through. And nice, but uh, yeah, we, we've nice. Got... yeah, oh. we
1: have a similar
0: space, I think. Yeah, it's it's humbling, but yeah, at least we have a building, and uh, at least we had a roof to fix. So yeah. always That's... look on the bright side. <laughs> uh, I know uh, this is your
1: your show. Yeah and I'm not supposed to interview but let me interview you really quick. Uh, do you own your building?
0: Not yet, so we're merging with a small church. Uh, we we looked to purchase a building just before COVID, and we were outbid, and the, the church that we were using sold it yeah, to, a dance, I remember that. to a dance studio, yeah? So we ended up uh, sharing a building with a, with a, another small local church that didn't have a pastor. Okay. And, uh, since COVID, we've we've got on really well. We've merged, so uh, we've decided to become one church. So we're looking to buy the building off their denomination. So, wow! But hopefully, we will
2: own that building. That's uh, good. That's good stuff. Yeah, love it. Yes.
0: Well, one one thing we lack really in our area is is diversity. Uh, yeah, we're, we're very like homogenous. The, I think that the statistics for where we are, I think it's pretty much about 96% white. Uh, we're all working class, or we're predominantly working class. Uh, if there's anybody from uh, pretty much not no no one migrates to Middlesbrough because there's no work, <laughs> people leave Middlesbrough. So we're one mm-hmm. of the only towns in the country that is actually shrinking in size mm-hmm. uh, rather than growing. But the is pocket's a bit like what you said of, areas of affluence and this attracts middle-class people to the area and then they'll, they'll come to our church and again I think sometimes people are put off by the lack of diversity. Uh, so your, your church is, is described, I love how you describe it, it says, let me just get this right, mm-hmm. uh, it, it says that you're a diverse church but united by one commonality and that's your need for Jesus and uh, yeah share a little bit about the diversity within the church some of the blessings that come from that uh, what does it look like on a sunday and, and throughout the week
1: yeah um we are a diverse church and you know i would say this we don't think that the diverse church is uh the end all be all like i, I don't think that you have to be multicultural or diverse to really be like displaying the glory of god you know and um, and I think that's important to say, too, because, you know, in your, your context, um, it would actually probably kind of be kind of weird if you were like <laughs> bringing people in from the outside just to display diversity, right, when your own town is not all that diverse. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, but uh, all that to say, uh, we have enjoyed a diverse church. You know, we've got, um, like I said, people from the context. We've got people who are um, familiar with that context, but they're more middle class, meaning they, you know, kind of came out of it. Um, we've got people that are passing through the city from a totally different context. You know, I'm not from Baltimore City myself; I'm an outsider. Originally, uh, our neighborhood is um, majority black, and I'm white. Mm-hmm. Um, however, we're only you know a couple blocks from a a neighborhood that's probably majority white but it's just uh, more diverse um so the diversity for us has been both probably a challenge but mostly i would say it's a joy in that like you know you, you see people who really are hanging out they're they're engaging with one another in discussion they're going out to dinner together they're having each other into their homes and you just give God glory because like man they would never be doing this if it wasn't for the blood of Jesus, you know? Like, how would some, uh, you know, guy with working a job who moved here from South Carolina be hanging out with a former drug dealer in Baltimore if it wasn't for the blood of Christ, you know? So uh, so that's, that is that statement that, that you read. Was that on our website or where'd you get that from?
0: Yeah, it was on the website, yeah. Oh, okay,
1: I like it. <laughs> I think <laughs> I think it's a good descriptor. That's how I feel. Yeah. Um, yeah. All that to say, man, I love the diversity of our church because it's it's something
2: that we, we battled against because we
0: we started off to reach the local like working class, the, yeah. those who were missing from from the majority of our churches. Yeah. But what we found was that culture quickly developed. Which was intimidating for new people coming in who weren't from our culture. And, okay. and I think we lost some good people. They were white, but white middle class. And they'd come in, and I think they felt, uh, yeah, I felt intimidated or felt like they weren't welcomed. And I had to do some repenting. And I, I think I tried that hard to make people like me feel uh, welcome that I forgot about everybody else that lives in the locality. And uh, I, I so- thought. Sorry. So in your church, the
1: white middle class mm-hmm. felt less welcome, is
0: what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So we had people from Hong Kong who stayed, people from Ireland who stayed, like middle class yeah. people, doctors would come. But yeah. local people, I think, felt more intimidated. Yeah. Uh, local local middle class people felt more intimidated than people who were uh, here. Just yeah. short-term, as students are uh, for, for, for training in the local hospital. Yeah, yeah, and so again, I had to bring in Nathan. Did you meet Prince Harry? Prince Harry? Yeah. No, I don't think. So my my, my uh, well, he's the lead pastor of New Life Church now. Oh, uh, I might have met him. Yeah, yeah, I think I have. Nathan. So we brought him in. He's very middle class. He's from the south of England. And uh, we've got some elderly people now who who are who are middle class who come along. So it's a it's a softer church. It doesn't seem as harsh for for people coming in. It, it, it's looking a bit more diverse, generationally, uh, and, and class wise. So hopefully now when new people come, it will be less. In yeah. Your time.
1: <laughs> yeah. No, that's interesting. I mean, the dynamic is is real. You know, for us, one of the challenges has been the. Uh, the way that somebody who is, l- let me just paint a picture, the high school dropout, they've been selling drugs their whole life, uh, maybe using drugs. Um, they uh, didn't grow up in like what we would consider to be a traditional family structure. Um, they've never read a book in their life. Mm-hmm. You know, to have a church that has, let's say, majority folks kind of from that community is just going to look and feel different culturally than a church where people have advanced degrees, where most people read books, um, where people have uh, expectations on what family is going to look like kids, you know, and, uh, and discipleship looks different. Um, Expectations on what, what's like going to be helpful is different, you know? So for us, the one of the challenges we face is the more we have intentionally tried to stay focused on like, we, we want to reach the community right around us, Mm -hmm. you know, and and I say intentionally because, um, I am, I'm I'm an outsider myself. And I think there's always going to be a draw at some level for an outsider to attract other outsiders, you know, people who look like me. Um, and, uh, And so I have to intentionally keep our church focused on the neighborhood. Like we we need to be thinking about this community around us. And uh, the more we've seen an increase in that, like you're saying to some degree, the harder it's been to keep middle class people uh, because it doesn't match all of their expectations of what church should be or what uh, people should even be like in, in the church um so it's a, it's an ongoing i i again i still appreciate the diversity and love it but uh but that's an ongoing challenge as to like how do we how do we actually have a church that effectively reaches and disciples people from different economic backgrounds easier said than done
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. and and then when you find that diversity you find new problems to deal with don't you so right again yeah, just from styles of worship or the expectations of some people just want to come to church and then get off. Other people want to hang out all day. And yeah, again, the, the tensions that come, but yeah, we, we were praying for so long for diversity. We start to get it and we start scratching our heads thinking. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> we
1: so One thing we, we realized about a year ago, we did a little informal survey of our congregation, our elders did. And the question was like, do you experience community in this church? And um, what we what we found was that uh, people that were from more of a, I don't know, more of a working class background, they said, yes, they do. People who came from like higher education, uh, more upper class, middle, upper class background found it harder to have community in the church. And so then we began kind of peeling back the why, why do you. Find community in this church. Why do you not find community in this church? And it came down to things like um, different cultural expectations on what community should be like, you know? So for example, one person might say, Yes, I do find community in this church. And it's because I know that at any time I can just walk into somebody's house and eat it out of their fridge, and we just like do life together. And I don't have to, we don't have to schedule anything. I can just show up unannounced, right? but then somebody else says no i don't find community in this church why it's because nobody invites me to their home for dinner or to go out to eat um and i don't really appreciate people just popping in my house yeah. does that make sense and so this sort of like this oh wow like the the cultural differences that come from class backgrounds are actually framing how people feel about the uh, you know something like and join community in the church so yeah what do you do about that i don't know it's interesting to know but
0: yeah well, I, I had the opposite so i felt like offended when people would put me in the diary i'd say let's let's hang out and they'd say yeah i can meet two weeks on thursday at seven thirty 30 p.m i'm like flipping heck you treat me like you window cleaner i'm uh, <laughs> right right an appointment and uh not realizing that that was they were busy the lifestyle they had meant the time was limited and yeah. you could only fix socializing in where yeah. and that's that's ex-
1: that's exactly what I'm getting at here in that like what like they might think man um ian never schedules anything with me therefore he doesn't value a friendship with me <laughs> and you're thinking Man, you don't—you're uh you're not available for me to just pop into your life. Therefore, you know, like there's just this this difference of culture and expectation.
0: Well, now I've got a new role. I'm, I'm working for Medhurst. We have a partnership agreement with Acts Twenty Nine, so I'm supporting uh, pastors and church planters within church in hard places, and I'm sending people. uh I'm saying, let's hang out, let's meet, let's Zoom, let's talk. He, he's my schedule pick a date on calendly and i feel like such a fake and i'm apologizing saying sorry bro like well <laughs> obviously it, it fits him with a schedule uh some people prefer clocking in in a diary and it, but it's just so alien to me to to arrange to meet a friend via a calendar
1: right uh, yeah i'm with you bro um, I think we scheduled this meetup through our Twitter messenger app. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, Which I haven't been on since I sent that message. So <laughs> right. Me neither. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, you sent that message. I was like, I don't know why. Obviously, the Lord, but I, I just quickly checked because I've stopped following people because that's something else I've had to come off because mm. I had my personal accounts. And I I was getting too involved in arguments that had nothing to do with me and weren't helpful. So I used the excuse of having ministry accounts. And I still found myself jumping in on arguments that I shouldn't. And even if I didn't get involved, I was getting stressed out about some of the things I've read. So I've just, all I use it for now is posting uh, the podcast and posting other information. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Again, I, I don't know if that's a class. I think that just transcends all classes being daft on social media. Yeah, man. It, it, can, it can be deadly. <laughs> it can drain you. Yeah, you know, mate. Yeah. I, I feel so much better, and I have more love for other Christians since I've come off it.
1: <laughs> all right. Well, praise God, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably I'll do the same thing. <laughs> Apart
0: from the people who are following us because... <laughs> That's where most of our funding comes from. (laughs) Yeah, so that's that's another thing, isn't it? I think a lot of social media has been good uh, for for promoting our work, but it's been a massive distraction for me as well.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah, you're right. You know, I think there's always a tension for those of us that that do partnerships and fundraising, and you know, we're trying to figure out like how do we make this ministry work. and how does partnerships play a role there is always a tension there between like how much am i actually pouring into my people or taking care of this ministry at the ground level versus representing the ministry which you know i think in your case going off of the lead pastor role full-time with Medhurst, it's probably a good move in that sense because that way your people can have the pastor in a sense you know and you can focus on that Broader development of Medhurst Ministries, mm. but but that tension that was real.
2: Yeah,
0: yeah, again, yeah. It's it's something. I'm enjoying this as a new season. The tension for me was, I don't think since I planted the church, after the second year, I've never had a full year where I could concentrate fully on the church. I've always mm. had fundraising in the back of my mind, yeah, exactly. you know, partnerships and. And, and yeah, after, it wasn't good for me because I was getting exhausted and it definitely wasn't good for my people because they weren't getting the the, the, the support and attention that they needed. Uh, but now now we've got a good system with Nathan, uh, aka Prince Harry, he's leading the church yeah. now. <laughs> and i yeah. was apart from the background. But again, you were, explain a little bit about your church because not only are you a pastor, but you're director of One Hope. Mm-hmm. Uh, how did one hope come about and how, how do you manage that and what is your vision for one hope yeah so uh we uh
1: established one hope to uh initially to help strengthen healthy churches in the inner city and to build healthy churches in the inner city um we have two guys right now that we're hoping to plant a church with uh and that would be kind of through that one hope platform um we've we're talking with a couple others as well uh so really, yeah, One Hope is to, is is similar to Medhurst Ministries, similar to 20 schemes in that sense. Um, it's uh it's also slightly different. So uh the way it's I think it's different is um when we began One Hope, we were fundraising uh to bring on a gospel worker for our own ministry right here, uh, because we just needed help. And, you know, our church uh, was um, growing, but we were growing with people from the context and we needed help with discipleship and, and a lot of, uh, I don't know, social development of, you know, people such as like, for instance, um, you know, job training. Uh, We could outsource that, but at the end of the day, uh, working a job is a discipleship issue. You know, it's, it's part of growing as a Christian what does god say about work why should you go to work you know so all of those sort of things are uh discipleship issues so we wanted to be able to um help fully disciple our people in in a just simply a holistic discipleship kind of way uh to where they're working a job and supporting their family and taking care of things uh all as as a follower of christ so that was when we first started one hope it was really just to Uh, try to raise some support to bring in some help for that. But at the same time, I I realized at the same time, like we are never, I want to see churches planted out of our church. Mm -hmm. And, you know, of course, God could like skyrocket growth and all of a sudden we've got, you know, a lot of money and people to work with. But if that doesn't happen, if we kind of just keep going, plodding along as things have been, uh, which I'm fine with, Mm -hmm we're never really going to have the resources to be able to plant churches out of our church. Right. Mm -hmm. But I think we've got some of the people, I think we've got some opportunities to do so. Mm -hmm. So what, what we did was when we first, when we were fundraising for that gospel worker, I just went ahead and created this whole new branding of one hope. So that way I could kind of start building on that platform uh, and hopefully start building up some support and some partnerships and a network. So that once we have these guys ready to go to plant churches, we can actually have the funding and the partnerships, the resources to be able to plant churches. Does that make sense? Um, so uh, yeah. So for that reason, one hope is, um, uh, is really just still part of the garden. It's the ministry of the garden. Um, it's not its own entity. Uh, it's under the elders of the garden church and uh we share a 501c3, you know, the nonprofit status. Um, and uh, will it eventually be its own entity? Probably. But at this point, there's no need because it's fairly
2: small. And, and what are some of the successes Did
0: you did you struggle to find people to, to, to join you? Was raising the money easier than finding people to work with? yeah as far as
1: um partnership development for one hope yeah yeah so on one hand uh i have always been a fundraiser as you have been you know ever since i started the church uh, i've always been hustling so since since 2008 been knocking on doors trying to figure out how to make ends meet i've worked part time jobs and done different things and part of that has been hustling to see if there's people that could help help us mm-hmm. uh so when, when we started One Hope, we rolled all of our external partnerships into that One Hope relationship category. Um, so we, we had some momentum there already with, you know, some churches, not a lot, but a, a couple churches and individuals that had been helping us already. And uh, so that's how we started what One Hope was, was with that. Um, but, but yeah, fundraising is, it's excruciatingly difficult. Um, it's just, it's, it's time consuming. Um, it's humbling. Like I'm not the kind of person that likes to ask for help. Um, and it's mainly because I'm battling my pride, you know, and to, to fundraise is to say we need help. And, uh, and I'm willing to actually ask somebody for that. Um, and then also it can be. A little emotionally challenging because you get no's you know and i can't take that personally yeah i've had to learn to to not take that personally
2: yeah that, that's that for me has been the biggest battle i, I
0: think there's some genuine unfairness in how churches and organizations give to, to to ministries like ours I think so. Just for an example,
2: uh,
0: having an affiliate, I don't know if it's the same in America, but the application process is so difficult that uh, what we're doing isn't quantitative. You can't put it down on a piece of paper. You have to see it firsthand to realize the value of what we're doing. You can't do it justice on paper.
2: Yeah.
0: And, and again, if people are looking at conversions or numbers or church membership growth before the fund year, we don't hit any of the targets that look uh, backable. So again, so so we face that. I think a lot of the funders come from a business background and back churches with a business mindset rather than with a gospel mindset. So that was difficult. But I think in hindsight, the biggest problem I had was forgetting that, that like you say, it's not personal if you don't get the money. Yeah. i wasn't entitled to it (laughs) and and see if i don't get it then the lord has some control over that if not all of it it's like the lord will provide and and again i was putting so much trust in people in 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 uh organizations and trust and not spending enough time praying and trusting in god right And, and reflection over 10 years of ministry that was my biggest failure trusting in man for finance and not trusting in god for it
1: yeah that's good man and and also uh to recognize that like my friendship with folks and relationship development with potential partners has got to be genuine and not just about getting their wallet you know like i've I've definitely asked friends for support if they would come alongside if they're maybe they're a pastor of a church And I know their budget and it's like 18 times larger than ours, you know, and I'm like, could you just give us like, just the, you know, just a, just a small slice of that pie. Mm -hmm. Um, And I get a no, Mm -hmm. but I still love the guy and I pray for him. And, you know, um, I've preached in churches of uh, uh, after I've got no's from people, you know, and it's just, and I get it. Like they, you know, they, they've got their view of what they want to support and, for whatever reason we don't fit that view. Um so we've got to guard our hearts, I think, to not just to not just use people who have resources, you know, and, and organizations. Um but yeah, I, I do think too it's skewed here as well. I think it's it's challenging. Mm-hmm. You know, like you'd said, um I think how did you say it in the UK,
2: um the the forms the applications to fill out like, um. So for
1: us, it could be that, but I think, uh, and maybe this is similar to the UK, but for us in our evangelical world, there's such a focus on church planting. It's like when I say church planting, I mean like, uh, you know, a two to three years support to get a church off the ground. Yeah. yeah. But the development stage of that church planter, which could be 8 or 10 years, you know, the development of a ministry through which church plants could be birthed, um, long-term support for church planters, like, that's stuff that I don't think we have thought through well. And I'm not sure if we have good answers as to what that looks like to fund that in, in hard places. Yeah. You know because that that is funded in uh, well- to do places, you know through middle class upper class ministries. you know you get these large churches that are able to to fund internships and large training programs and be able to produce leaders and um, but when you get somebody who's from from the context in a tough neighborhood, the the amount of time that it requires to develop that individual into a potential elder or church planter is just astronomical, you know? And um and, and this is why we're not doing a lot of church planting in tough neighborhoods, is because we don't have any kind of real system in place to be able to help develop and train guys from these churches and even to build healthy churches in these neighborhoods that can become church planting centers so it's it's uh yeah it's a it's a tough i don't spend a whole lot of time thinking about it because i don't want to become bitter you know i just want to keep my head my hands on the plow my head to the ground and keep keep doing the ministry i can do i don't want to end up being like a bitter guy like blaming everybody else but but there's work that there's work that needs to be done And I think what you're doing is kind of blazing the way to some degree and saying, hey, this is the kind of work
2: that needs to be done. Who can get behind it? Yeah.
0: And again, I think what's brought me to my new role is the failures in my role as a pastor. So I'm supporting pastors and planters now, uh, trying to help them avoid the mistakes I made as a planter and a pastor myself. And again, that frustration wasn't just... Like bit against funders, I was finding myself resenting other church plants that were getting funding, rather mm-hmm. than giving thanks and praising God for His generosity. I was like, "Why, Lord? Why not me, Lord?"
1: Right. Yeah, I know. I know that feeling. That's what I'm saying. We've had a battle
2: against.
0: Yeah, yeah, and, and that drains you as well. That's a huge that constant spiritual battle with your own pride, your ego, your resentment, yeah. but also a righteous anger it's hard it, it distracts you battling these emotions and feelings and uh, yeah. uh, it, it, we're supposed to be focused on the mission but often we're focused on just keeping our own heads straight to keep it yeah. up
2: yeah,
1: yeah it's when, when you feel like you're drowning it's hard to rejoice with those who rejoice
2: yeah.
1: Yeah. but we're still called to yeah
2: yeah
1: now, and if you and i can figure that out it'll help our help us in our discipleship of our own people who are struggling and they're called to rejoice with those who rejoice, who who just got a pay raise and they can't find a
2: job, you know. Yeah, definitely. Yeah,
0: yeah. It's been it's been a humbling a humbling journey, and uh, I, I I feel a bit more peace uh, peaceful, a bit more calmer in this new role. But <laughs> I'm sure I'm only five weeks in, so uh, I'll let you know in a year's time if I still feel peaceful oh. and calm congratulations man i think it's
1: wonderful to be able to plant a church and then pass it on to another lead pastor well done
0: i only did it so when it fails he gets the blame right right
1: yeah give the wheel of the titanic over to somebody else right before
0: it hits the iceberg right i've got my life jacket on and i'm jumping in that lifeboat <laughs> oh but seriously i mean we've discussed some of these problems but it's it's, it's something that struck me. I, I, I'm speaking with pastors in, in Africa and South America, uh, in the US, uh, across Europe and in Britain, and every pastor and planter that's working in an area of deprivation uh, has so many similarities, whether you're working with addiction or the homeless or poverty or fatherlessness. Yet within the, the similarities, there's often a lot of unique struggles that we all face. Um, within our context, what kind of struggle, because you've been to the UK, you've seen uh, Edinburgh and some of the schemes in Scotland. Now, what are some of the unique challenges you, you face in Baltimore that probably we don't see in the
2: UK? Probably guns. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: Although I think I might rather uh, face a guy with a gun than a uh, machete or whatever they carry around your yeah. Um but uh yeah gun violence is definitely um a big problem in in Baltimore city mm. um and the fears that that creates you know it's our people live with a lot of fear mm. and you know sometimes i think like my my girls take public transportation to school um you know I've, i'm always trying to push my kids like out into the neighborhood like go ride your bike around the block you know um And, and I think like the, I think the fears can be unfounded to some degree when you look at like, what's, what are the chances of, you know, something happening? It's probably pretty small, but nonetheless, so there, there is fear, uh, that people live with. And so that's a challenge, you know, another challenge that I think ties into that is people staying in the neighborhood. And I don't know how this is where you're at. Um, it seems to me that in the uk though that people are a little more stable in their neighborhoods what i mean by stable is they 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 live there for years years and years they're they're not it's not as, maybe not as transient
2: now,
1: correct me if i'm wrong but our neighborhood is extremely transient like i i moved here into the neighborhood like i said uh going on going on 14 years ago actually and it's a totally different neighborhood 14 years later, you know, every, all the kids that I knew back then are are gone. You know, some are, some are dead, uh, but many of them are just gone. Uh, families get out of the neighborhood. Everybody always thinks, you know, the neighborhood is the problem and I'm going to move to north of the city or I'm going to move to East or I'm going to go to a different neighborhood and that's going to be better. And I honestly think it's just this hopping around Baltimore city constantly are what we call section eight housing which is um uh government subsidized housing uh, projects uh you get moved around in those you don't stay in the same area often people lose their section eight voucher and they end up having to do something else so so the 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 fear combined with this transient like i want to get away i want to get out um, then what it's it's honestly just hard to know like what a neighborhood church looks like. You know we have a big value of people living in the neighborhood and staying in the neighborhood. Sometimes it feels like man it's kind of like our middle class people that are staying here because they're the, they're the ones who are less uh, you know they have more stability in their lives um, and uh, just creates these unique challenges. How, how would how does that compared to where you're at do you feel like people is it is it transient there or do people tend to stay in your
2: community and yeah so traditionally very stable Mm -hmm. uh, unless people climb up the social ladder so if somebody goes
0: to university uh, which isn't very often but if they do they very rarely come back uh, okay so go to uni find a job there
2: relocate again uh, the
0: the middle class will probably move on people who've got social mobility the poor generally stay in the same area because waste of time moving because there's no jobs to move do you not know I mean the only reason to move would be uh, to find work which there isn't any yeah what i found though is people who become christians move on and the excuse is I don't know we're called to go the great commission <laughs> people go to Bible college and then they move somewhere else to do the ministry and yeah our problem is keeping people to stay especially once they're saved and again okay. trying to preach that message about how jesus spoke the legion and when legion says can i come with you and he says no go and tell your friends and neighbors everything that i've done for you and yeah. i not trying to encourage people to stay, uh, yeah. to, to preach the gospel in their community. But it's hard because I, I have that
2: conflict where I want people to stay
0: and minister so the community is changed and transformed by the gospel. But then I also think, God, this guy's been stuck in this awful place for so long. <laughs> Let him go and experience something different. Right, right. So that conflict, there's a constant tension before, between me wanting people to stay but also them experiencing something different.
1: Yeah. Where we tend to challenge people is just in your motivations. You know, like it's okay to move to a nicer neighborhood. It's okay to get out of the city. If you, you know, maybe you want a yard, like we don't have yards in in the city. It's all concrete, you know, and you've never had that. You want that for your kids. Like, I can't blame you. You know, there's nothing sinful about that. You know, I can't bind your conscience where the scripture doesn't bind your conscience. But what I can do is check your motives a little bit and and just say, you know, are we sure that this is not like a finding identity in this thing? Like if I get out of this neighborhood, if I find a, if I, if I live in a nicer neighborhood, then I'm a better person or people think that I'm a better person. If that's the case, Mm. terrible, you know, stay where you're at. That's a terrible reason to move. Mm. Um, so yeah, man. Mm. Uh, Definitely some unique challenges. Other challenges that we might have uh, that would be different would be the diversity piece to some degree. You know, like the um, class diversity. Number one, like I, I think uh, class, I feel like is a little more pronounced in the UK than it is here. That divide,
2: mm-hmm. but
1: it it almost makes it more challenging here. Because I I feel like people don't go walk around thinking there's much of a class divide when there actually is. Does that make sense? And so we could just say, oh, well, the way I do things is just normal. But we don't realize that's middle class or that's working class or whatever you might call it, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And then also uh, ethnic Mm -hmm. uh, divisions can be uh, pronounced here as well. Um, Christianity is a tool of oppression Mm -hmm. christianity is
2: uh a european tool to uh to promote
1: white supremacy it's the white man's religion um you know that is very very prevalent that kind of thinking is prevalent here
0: and how do you then as a white pastor so i've I've read er- a <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, I've read urban apologetics, and and uh, Eric Mason does a good job of of giving the apologetics for the very things you've said. But he's more likely to be taken serious by somebody within the the black community than say a white pastor. How do you argue you against these uh, yeah. th- these false thinking as a white
2: pastor?
1: Yeah. It's, it's challenging. You know, sometimes I was just telling uh, somebody in our church this yesterday that sometimes my uh, white skin Mm -hmm. works in my advantage in that it's, it can be intriguing. Like I, I kind of, I'm interested in what you, a white guy who doesn't seem to be racist, you know, has to say on these, you know what I'm saying? There can be an intrigue there that allows me to have some conversations with some folks that I might not otherwise have. And then it can also be a challenge. You know, there could be definitely people who just uh, probably do without me even realizing it, you know, write our church off as, oh, that's just that white man's church, you know. Um, but one of the things that God's blessed us with though is black leadership. Mm-hmm. So our, while I'm white, our leadership is majority black in the church. And um, so that's, uh, that's just incredibly helpful. Uh yeah. Um and 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 also the fact that uh we've got people that are just hungry for the word mm-hmm. and are willing to say, okay, let's go to the scriptures and let's just let's 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 look at history as well. Oh, that's something else is looking at history. I, I feel like I've always tried to show that the Christianity is not the white man's religion, that Christianity is birthed not in Europe, you know, I'm always trying to counter these kind of conversations before they even happen, you know so so that way when some somebody hears something on YouTube or their neighbor says something, well, yeah, we've already been having those conversations, you know, and there's a sense of like apologetics that I've already been doing with folks before they even realize that that they need apologetics, you know. So it's just basic discipleship uh praying with people, conversations, studying the bible together um and having uh having a good team of good team of leaders that
0: helps yeah, again that's that's something again that strikes me and, and is so obvious for every pastor I speak to when we speak about the unique challenges uh, every challenge ultimately is faced by the same thing and that is through prayer through the gospel <laughs> through yeah. discipleship isn't it trusting in the holy spirit and yeah yeah yeah
1: you know i i uh just was having a conversation with another white pastor in a um um i think it's a majority minority church meaning he's as, as a white guy he's he's in the minority in his church but he's having some cr- critique and sp- some some criticism coming at him about his uh inability to pastor people because he's white. Yeah. And um and I just encourage him and this is honestly just from my experience like it's okay to just listen yeah. and to, to 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 listen and to sympathize and empathize with what's being said and, and to not feel like you have to always defend yourself.
2: Yeah.
1: You know I think as soon as we start jumping into well, let me prove that I'm not racist. Let me prove that I am able to pastor you. That I have, you know, that my white skin doesn't get in the way. Like I think as soon as we start jumping into those kind of arguments, we're shooting ourselves in the foot. Um, you know, our, our very evidences are uh become become nothing because it's like, well, let me just tell you why that evidence, you know, doesn't count. And um Uh, so I I encouraged him I was like just you know just pray preach the word disciple people and let your faithfulness speak for itself Mm. you don't have to defend your ministry Mm. Um, so that's been probably as I've been learning that the most helpful
2: is to just just be chill
0: (laughs) yeah 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 A, a, a good piece of advice yeah really hard to put into practice when faced with all these different challenges. <laughs> right, right. Chill, though. You've got some good, you've got some good support. Uh, you've had, uh, i say you just recently had, have you got one coming up? Uh, like a weekender coming up, or have you just had one? Yeah, we just
1: did a weekender. We have a uh, conference coming up, which we call the One Hope Conference. Yeah. focuses faith alone and Sabidi uh, Anyabwile. Who's a pastor in dc shylan uh who's a uh part of a church in philadelphia mm-hmm. and uh alejandro malero who's a pastor in dc and myself are going to be speaking at it
2: awesome
0: yeah again so it, blessed to have these brothers around you who can share support You brothers like deva you, you're still in contact with my deva and stuff like that so uh, having right. that kind of wise counselors something that's been essential for keeping my head in the game and keeping me chill at times of, uh, right. T- times of pressure and, and times of thinking, do you know what? I've, I've, I've just had enough. So ha- how long did it take you to build up this kind of uh, support network that you've got then people who were like advocates for you, who were, who were working alongside you in this ministry?
1: Yeah. So, um, when I first started out, I had a couple of friends in Baltimore city that I'm still friends with today That that I just kind of started with and uh, grew together. So that was from from day one, um, just a couple. Uh, more broadly was um, after uh, I connected with Mark Dever in DC, uh, I was invited back in 2010, 2011, maybe 2012, I don't know. I was invited to a uh, monthly pastors meetup at, uh, at their church there in, in DC. And so I've been doing that for about 10 years, just every month, driving down the road to D.C. And that gathering of pastors is probably, uh, man, it's like the most therapeutic time of my week to just sit there and talk about challenges. And, and all, most of those guys are all completely in a different context, which has been helpful for me. It's been humbling for me because I think for a while I thought like nobody gets my ministry because of my context and i've be i've come to realize like no ministry's just tough everywhere you know the guy that looks great in the suburbs doing he's killing it he's got this big church he's got a lot of money he's actually got the same kind of challenges i have he's trying to help people stop you know looking at porn and steward their money well and and come back to his wife and uh and ultimately grow in his understanding of christ and the gospel and you know, people are, people are challenging. So having that brotherhood of support has been going on for probably about, I don't know, eight to 10 years or so. And it's just been game changing for me.
0: That's what I found with myself. You mentioned earlier, we have, I think to plant a church, there's an element of pride <laughs> that every planter has. So I think that's right. what gives them the motivation to do it. Right. But we have pride when it comes to asking for help with finance, but we also have Pride when it comes to asking for like wise counsel don't we and yeah i had to fight to find it because there was none on the doorstep and yeah this is what i'm trying to encourage with some of the lads yeah. I'm working with now it's essential that anyone has a, a group of men around them that can right. speak into their lives pray for them and again point out that you know what we can feel like victims at time like you said that we're the only ones who struggle in ministry and just but, that humbling of seeing that ministry is just tough, whatever context is essential, isn't it? Exactly.
1: And we're on the same team. Yeah. You know, we don't need to be villainizing each other. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, I think uh to 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 be humbled is to say, you know, I don't know um I don't know what my strategies are for the next year. Like I don't know, I think I've got a good vision, but I'm not sure. You know, I think this is, I'm, I'm confused as to uh, how to disciple this person. Like, Those are the kind of things that, for whatever reason, church planting seminars don't teach you, you know, and you get into it and you feel like you have to have all of the answers to everything and you have to portray like this confidence in your ministry. And, and uh, man, I, it's hard to sometimes even talk to church planters because I'm like, look, stop playing with me. I know you don't know everything, you yeah. know. Um, just be real with me. Just be. Just talk. Just talk like a normal person, and you know, tell tell me about your core team. Like, don't don't make it more flowery than it really is. Let's just have a real conversation here. Definitely. But but I see myself in those guys too. That was my point.
0: Yeah, you yeah. Know? That's why I know they're all jokers because I was one of the biggest. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, exactly. But- uh yeah we we we're, we're coming to the end now so again don't be proud let me know how we in the uk can be supporting you in prayer <laughs> and how can we support one hope if there's anyone listening who would like to hear more about what you're doing and
2: uh support the work that you're doing out there so uh
1: one big practical need uh that's on the horizon for us is a building for the garden church uh there's a potential purchase of the build, of a building in our neighborhood uh this month where there's a building that might go on sale we're praying that it does go on sale and we think that we will we'll, we'll have the money or we think that it'll be offered with a reasonable uh uh what am i saying it'll be put on the market at a at a reasonable price and we can afford it so will be praying that we get this building because like i said where we meet right now is just um it's tough
2: yeah.
1: And, uh, so a building would be wonderful for us. Pray for that. Uh, secondly, we've got a couple folks that, uh, we are hoping to plant a church with Mm -hmm. in the next, you know, could be a year to three years. Um, still working through some timeline stuff So, just pray for wisdom on what it looks like for us to, uh, to plant more churches. Mm -hmm. Um, Pray for uh, the funding, of course, that would be necessary for that. Pray for people and workers to come alongside to develop core teams Mm -hmm. for those church plants. Uh, We're looking to plant in some of the toughest neighborhoods in Baltimore City uh, first. And all that to say, I'm excited about that. And it's also daunting because we're in a tough neighborhood ourselves, you know, so we just need a lot of support. And honestly fundraising like the the overall representing the ministry, I enjoy doing it, but i I don't have a lot of time to do it because I'm also you know neck deep in pastoral ministry, mm-hmm. so just be praying for like you know whether that's volunteers or added staff like wisdom on like what that looks like to um to both plant churches through one hope as well as be faithful on the ground with the garden church
0: nice one brother what i'll do is i'll put a link up to the garden church website and to the one Hope site, and uh, people can subscribe to your prayer letter as well via the website is that right i get it yeah yeah onehope.gives
1: and you can uh subscribe Mm -hmm. to the prayer letter brilliant awesome brother oh
0: joel it's been a pleasure thanks for joining me on the in context podcast awesome thanks man it's been my pleasure